welcome back to the Soap Opera Podcast, a hope punk DIY soap making show. I am your host, Dallas Wheatley, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. This episode's going to be a little different from the last four. While the last episodes gave you all a bunch of different soap recipes you can use and taught you several different techniques, this episode is just going to be about the history of soap. As I've mentioned in the past couple of episodes, soap has been around for several millennia, and I think that's a completely wonderful fact to know. I love how old the history of soap is. And because of that, you can see so many different soap-making traditions from different regions of the world. For instance, the earliest dated evidence of soap is from around 2800 BCE in Babylon, which is in the Middle East, and it was made of combination of water, alkali, and cassia oil, which is a kind of Chinese cinnamon plant. When you get to 1550 BCE in Egypt, there's the Ebers papyrus, or the Ebers papyrus, which is an Egyptian papyrus containing medical and herbal knowledge, and that mentions the use of alkaline salts mixed with both animal and vegetable fats to create a sudsing substance that they used for cleaning. Sounds a lot like soap to me. Go a couple doors down to Babylonia again during the reign of Nabonidus, and around 550 BCE, they were using sesame and cypress oils and mixing those with alkalis in order to make soap. Interesting how the tradition switches from cassia oil to sesame and cypress oils, and I think that might say a lot about the different types of trades that were happening at the time and whether or not they had easy access to an imported Chinese oil versus having to press their own oil from local plants. I'm not an expert on that though, so definitely don't quote me on it. It's just a thought that I had. Move a little bit farther west into the Roman Empire, and there's no mention of soap in any of the writings until you get to Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder thought that the mixture of tallow and ashes was better used as rather than for cleaning. He seemed to think that the Gallic and Germanic men from whom he got the recipe were somehow more effeminate for the use of soap for cleaning purposes. As if there's something wrong with that. Of course, everyone knows Pliny wasn't exactly open-minded either. You can read, you can go through some of his readings for yourself to figure that out. But I personally think soap isn't feminine at all. It's actually interesting. A lot of times when I'm selling at farmer's markets, there seems to be a certain demographic of people who come to buy soap from me, who ask me if I make if I make soap for men. Um, and you know, I, I want their money, and I want them to buy my soap, so I can't exactly look at them and say, soap's for everybody, because that, you know, it might, might turn them off my shop. But at the same time, um, soap for men is soap. And I don't see anything wrong with a man wanting to smell like an orange. But, you know, maybe... 
Maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm not wrong. They're the wrong ones. They're definitely the wrong ones. I'm the one in the right here. <laughs> I think if a man smelled like oranges and cloves and lavender, oh, that'd be amazing. Men who smell like flowers are the best. Men, wash more with flowery smelling soap. It's gonna- you're gonna smell awesome. People are gonna love it. Soap is great. Use soap, everybody. Wash yourselves. <laughs> Anyways, um, back to the history of soap. Enough of my little gender spiel. Um, and we're continuing on with the Romans. So finally, by the end of the 2nd century BCE, the Romans had finally decided that maybe the Gauls and the Germans were onto something here, and that, oh, they actually made some pretty good soap, so my tunic's starting to look really, really dirty. How am I gonna clean it? I'm gonna use some soap. Took him, took him a couple centuries to get there, but they finally made it. I haven't been able to find any dates around this, and this could just be because I'm looking in the wrong places, or it could be because um, there aren't as many documents that have been translated into English, so uh, anybody can correct me on this. If you are an expert and you know more about this, then please contact me and let me know um, what you know about this. But, but in ancient China, they made a lot of soap from the oil of the Chinese honey locust. Um, they would press the seeds from that plant in order to extract oil, and then they would mix those with alkali to make soap. Again, I've had a really hard time finding any written documents about this, and it could just be a lack of English translations, so if I'm wrong, please get in touch and let me know. I will be happy to send out a correction. We're gonna jump forward about uh, 500 years into this common era. So before I was speaking about the before the Common Era, which is BCE, and now this is Common Era CE, and around the 800s to the 1400s CE, during what's known as the Islamic Golden Age, soap making had become its own established industry, like an entire industry of people making and selling soap to each other. I think that's that's definitely reason enough to call it the Golden Age. I, but, you know what, they had some really, really smart people back then, and I don't think we give them enough credit. There's one particular scholar, Abu Bakrun Muhammad Zakaria Razi, and I may have messed that up, I apologize if I did. Um, well, he wrote about several soap recipes in a huge book that he put together on medical information. So he was a scholar, he was a doctor, he was a chemist, and he just wrote this huge book about medicine and included a bunch of recipes for soap in there. And he also included instructions on how to extract glycerin from olive oil. And glycerin is a natural byproduct of soap making, but being able to extract it from directly from oil is really interesting. Um, and I, I wish I could get my hands on some of his recipes, because I would love to see what ancient soap recipes look like. Um, and during this time, a lot of soap was made from alkali, lime, and olive oil. And olive oil is super, super common in ancient soap recipes, especially in the Middle East, where olive is so ubiquitous. You can find olive trees everywhere, and olive oil was used all the time, so a lot of people made soap out of olive oil. And all of that soap was exported through to the rest of the Middle East, as and as to much of Europe as well. 
And when you consider African black soap, um, which is made in an entirely different way than all the other kinds of soap, uh, African black soap, I think, is one of the most fascinating kinds of soap. Um, a lot of African black soap is made by taking plantain leaves, um, burning them, mixing it with different vegetable fats, so a lot of shea butter, a lot of cocoa butter, um, and the plantain leaves, when they're burned, they don't form a very perfect alkali. They don't form as smooth an alkali or as complete of an alkali process as, you know, ash that comes from trees or ash that comes from volcanoes. So when you would mix the shea butter or the cocoa butter with these ash plantain, in this, with this plantain ash, you would end up getting more of a crumbly consistency of soap. And this kind of aft soap would kind of form more of a lumpy formation, something a lot stiffer, something that crumbles a bit easier, something that's uh, a little bit more discolored. But that is not to say that the soap is bad. African black soap is actually some of the most coveted soap in the world. It has this unique quality on your skin because it's made from mostly uh, shea butter and it's made from a different type of alkali from other soaps. African black soap just yields a very different kind of soap and it's a lovely soap. It's really, really good for people who have oily skin and so many people who have oily skin really, really like what African black soap can do for them. Suddenly, by the 13th century CE, soap had become industrialized. Um, several cities in the Middle East had become known for their soap production, which include Aleppo, Nablus, Fez, and Damascus. And these four cities are really, really well known for their ancient soap production. In fact, there are different varieties of soap making that are named after these four cities. You have Aleppo soap, Nablus soap, Fez soap, and Damascus soap, including soap like uh, Marseille soap and Castile soap, which each have their own traditions as well. I think it's fascinating the way that not only did you have soap becoming an industry during the Islamic Golden Age, but you also had soap sort of forming on its own in these different regions of the world, perhaps influenced by trade between all these regions, you know, between Gaul and Germany and China and the Middle East, but you know, you don't know how much of it may have been uh, independently realized. You know, did were the Germanic people making soap on their own before they had even really established trade with the Middle East and before the Middle East had established trade with China? Um, I don't have a reference for this, but I recall back in graduate school when I was studying volcanoes, um, there were some archaeological writings uh, suggesting that when alkali from a volcanic eruption, when the ash from the volcanic eruption would wash down river, people would bring their, wa their laundry to the river because the river would become sudsy. So the fat that was in the river from local wildlife uh, was mixing with the alkali from the volcano and forming a sort of pre-soap mixture, something that sudsed up in the water that wasn't exactly soap, and it seemed to be really, really good for washing clothes, so people used to bring their clothes to the bubbly rivers in order to wash their clothes. I think soap is fascinating. I may have rambled a bit there. You know, I've got my notes sitting here on the laptop, and I'm reading from them, 
But every time I get to a new bullet point, I just think, oh my god, I love this fact, and I can't wait to talk about this fact, so... Anyways... <laughs> um... I hope you liked learning about soap as much, as much as I like making it, and as much as I like researching it. That's all for this episode. Thank you for sitting with me and listening to me jabber about the history of soap making in the world. If you have any questions about soap making, then feel free to contact me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Soap Opera. I'll be back next month with another recipe for you, this time including special additives like flowers, herbs, and poppy seeds. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. Happy sudsing! The soap opera was created by me, Dallas Wheatley. It was created in Washington County, Vermont, the territory of the Abenaki people. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or just tell your friends and family about it. Spreading the word makes all the difference. If you have any questions about soap, tools, or ingredients, you can contact me through the links in the show notes. If you want access to exclusive episodes, including specialty ingredients, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Many thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the music. If you want to challenge your soap-making skills some more, I recommend checking out HumbleBeeAndMe.com, a wonderful website with tons of science-based soap, skincare, and makeup recipes. If you want to purchase any of the soap I made for this show, you can find it at shiresuds.com. That's S-H-I-R-E suds.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Soap Opera. Happy sudsing! Happy sudsing!